This is the Danger Close Podcast. Beyond the Books with me, Jack Carr. Welcome to the Danger Close Podcast, an Ironclad original presented by Navy Federal Credit Union. In this episode, I will be answering listener questions. So let's do this. Q&A. Who was best at finding and placing talent? General Washington, General Grant, or General Marshall? I would say that would be George Marshall. And that is because he fired so many people up to and through World War II to put those leaders in the positions. And those are names that we all know today. He would not fail people forward. He would not fail leaders forward. He'd give them a second chance, but he would not give them a third, fourth, fifth, and sixth chance and then fail them forward, fail them upward in the chain of command. Uh, and that was important. Uh, we saw that change really after World War II, after we changed the um, uh, War Department to the Department of Defense. And uh, we've been failing senior level leaders up pretty much ever since. So uh, George Marshall there and General Grant, it took a long time to, uh, to get to General Grant. Uh, Lincoln went through quite a few generals, quite a few leaders until he got to Grant. And that's, a, that's an incredible story as well. But uh, General George Marshall, I would have to say, and he had a list of attributes that he thought were the most important for leaders. And one of those was common sense. And same thing that uh, in On War that Karl von Clausewitz said was one of the most important elements of a battlefield leader. Common sense. Important in life as well. All right, next question. I am so impressed by how prepared you are for interviews and would love to know how you squeeze in time for reading, writing, etc. Do you time batch or anything like that? Uh, no, but I'd like to get better at uh, coordinating my schedule, prioritizing. And that's really what this year I think is about for me is figuring out how to be more effective and efficient with my time. Because up to this point, it's been a full on sprint. And to this point, I've read every book of uh, the guests who have come on, but I don't know if that it will, I don't know if it'll always be that way because there's so much going on. But up to this point, I have. And what I do is I go through that book, I put yellow stickies in there, uh, certain sections that I might want to read. Uh, and then I also take notes. So that's why how I've done it thus far. Um, but, uh, but yeah, uh, how do I squeeze in time? It's just always a full on sprint trying to juggle all these things that are going on. So it, anyway, it's a great problem to have. And, uh, I absolutely love every second of everything that I'm doing, but I can always get better and getting better th this year. Uh, I think is directly tied to being more effective and efficient with my time. So, um, so that's that. But in doing the research for these interviews as well, I learn a lot that finds its way into the novels. So it, uh, you know, it's not just for the podcast. Um, uh, it works uh, on a couple of different, different levels there. So very cool. Okay. Next one. What are some of your non-writing goals? What are new things you want to learn about or do? Um, yeah, I really liked getting into the uh, the screenwriting this year and being in the executive producer position for the Terminalist um, and working together to bring that to the screen. When this airs, that'll be out on Amazon Prime Video, starring Chris Pratt. So to being to be involved in every aspect of that production. Uh, for pre-production, uh, the development phase, uh, writing the pilot with the showrunner, uh, where he really mentored me along and taught me about screenwriting, uh, to see then him go with Chris Pratt and Antoine to the studios, see it get into a bidding war, wind up at Amazon, and then 
the writer's room coming together, then doing the casting and then the filming and then the post-production and editing all the way through the teasers and the trailers uh, and promotion, advertising, marketing. And to be a part of all that, um, I mean, it was humbling that they would include me as the author, uh, but I learned a ton and I, I really enjoyed that. So, um, so there's a couple other projects that, uh, that I'm working on right now in that space. So uh, I guess that's a non-writing goal, but it's uh, pretty directly related. And, you know, other than that, I want to, you know, just be a, every single day, be a, a better husband, a better father, a uh, better citizen. Uh, I'm always a student, no matter what. So uh, I'm always uh, learning new things and uh, then applying them to different areas of my life. So um, always a student, always a student. What was your favorite episode of the new series? Oh, that is a tough question. Um, I made sure uh, that I got to say thank you to each director. Antoine Fuqua directed the first episode. And as an executive producer, he was involved in setting the tone for the entire series, uh, involved, of course, through the post-production process and dialing this thing in to get it where it is today. Um, so favorite episode. I mean, that first one was so special because it was Antoine and because I was on set there with all my SEAL buddies. And uh, uh, that was just, yeah, that was a special one. The end, I love the end. Maybe it's a little different than the book. Uh, and I love the changes. I love that we built upon the foundation of the book and added a psychological thriller element, added a conspiracy thriller element. Um, so that was, uh, it was fun to see essentially the book grow, uh, see some characters change, uh, some characters be added, others uh, get eliminated and not I don't mean with a sniper rifle, although that, that happens as well. But uh, telling a story visually is different than telling it on the page. And it was uh, it was incredible to be part of that process. Uh, episode three stands out. And if you've seen episode three, you will know why. Um, man, the Sicario uh, Mexico scene in episode four, uh, the little uh, hat tip to, to heat in episode five, the hat tip to first blood in episode six. Um, episode seven is awesome because there's so much going on there. And uh, episode eight with that ending. I don't know. They're all filmed like a movie. So uh, I don't know if I can pick one. I don't know if I can pick one. Uh, let me know your favorite when, uh, uh, on, on the social channels. Let's see. Living Daylights is 35 years old this year. James Bond film. In your opinion, what is the most underrated James Bond movie and which one is your favorite? Oh my goodness. Uh, yeah, Living Daylights, you know, that took us back to a little bit more gritty Bond, um, a little more closely tied to Ian Fleming's character in the novels, of course. Man, she's underrated, maybe. Her Majesty's Secret Service, perhaps, with George Lazenby, maybe, because, uh, you know, that was tough to bridge the gap between Sean Connery and Roger Moore. Uh, and, at the, and at the time, you know, it was looked at a certain way, and today it's uh, aging a little better. But uh, I need to go back and watch it again and try to watch it through uh, the lens of when it was filmed, of course. But, uh, yeah, it's a tough, that's a tough question. Growing up, I probably saw... Goldfinger more than any other of the Bond films. Um, although, uh, yeah, oh, that's a tough one. Although Dr. No from Russia with Love and, and Goldfinger and, oh, man, To Live and Let Die. Uh, that, was, that was, you know, Roger Moore's. Uh, I, oh, man, these are tough questions. These are, are extremely tough 
questions. You only live twice, of course, because I'm watching these things in the 80s. Uh, and of course, the ninja craze is going on. And uh, of course, that was filmed, you know, back in the 60s. But still, as a child of the 80s, with the ninja craze, you get, uh, you, you, get uh, uh, you only live twice. Uh, man, I don't know. Tough, tough question right there. And then for Roger Moore, I really um, love For Your Eyes Only. That was a that was a return for Roger Moore anyway, um, to a more gritty Bond than the other ones that he'd been portraying. So um, love the Bond films, as you can tell. And actually over here, just off camera, I have all the Ian Fleming books right here. They're not first editions, but uh, they're like these re-editions with this artwork and a limited edition hardcover. And so those are over there uh, right next to me. Um, I'm right next to this special typewriter and, uh, yeah, anyway. Yeah. Love the bond stuff. Love the bond stuff. All right. Jack, big fan. What in your unique experience makes for a good AAR? So after action mm, process or hot wash, how are those lessons then learned and applied as opposed to just being lessons known? And that is a fantastic question. So yeah, we come back from a mission. We do that hot wash, get everybody in the room, talk about what went right, what went wrong, how we can do it better next time. And then we take those lessons and put them in a more formal AAR uh, after action review. And then that goes out to the rest of the force. So hopefully other units don't have to learn those same lessons in blood um, or can just be more effective and efficient warriors uh, based off our experience downrange. Um, and then you turn over with a group coming in and they do the same and you learn from their experience as well as you're getting ready to go in country. So, um, but how do you, how do you turn those into lessons learned and applied? That's a very good question. Uh, and you incorporate those lessons into training. You don't just read about them and, and say, okay, when we're in Iraq, when we're in Afghanistan, um, we'll, we won't do this or that. Although the enemy is adapting fairly quickly. So you have to be sure that you stay up to date, but you have to incorporate it into the training, make it part of the training and you have to adapt very quickly, which is hard to do as a gigantic bureaucracy, which the military is. The enemy can typically adapt uh, a lot faster than, than we can, uh, a little more agile. So, um, so yeah, I would say incorporate that into your training, incorporate those lessons into your training to keep them from just being lessons known and, uh, and really apply them and make them lessons learned. So great question. What is Chris Pratt like in real life? Oh, he is fantastic. I mean, I was going to try to make a joke there and then I started to smile because you can't even, uh, I can't even think about him without smiling because he is such a great person, so positive, uh, so dedicated to his craft and to those around him. Um, I had so many people come up to me on set and say that they had been part of hundreds of Hollywood productions, but they'd never been on a set that had felt like this one. There was just this positive energy that was flowing through that set and uh, everyone from craft food services, uh, hair and makeup, stunts, uh, so many people came up to me and made a point of taking me aside and and letting me know that. And uh, that is all due to Chris Pratt and Antoine Fuqua setting the tone for the entire production. And in a series like this, you're filming for for five months. Um, and uh, and that's, that's a long time for people to be there each and every day, 300, 350 people to be there uh, on set every day, maybe a, maybe a day off here or there, um, but, uh, but not very often, maybe two days, maybe the weekend's off, maybe you're working the weekend. Um, and there's some long days and I sincerely appreciate what everyone did. And one of my takeaways is just how hard everyone works and how good they are at their particular responsibility. Um, so that, yeah, that really, really stood out to me. Um, yeah, let's see here. Uh, oh, so 
Chris is awesome. <laughs> what does Chris Pratt do to get into James Reese shape? Well, luckily, Chris is uh, lives his life now, and he talks about this in a uh, a few interviews that we were doing in the uh, for the press junkets junkets for the show. And he talked about how he's just staying in shape these days, so he doesn't really need to do too much to get back in. So fighting shape because he's really already there and that's how he's living his life. So uh, eating right, uh, exercising, um, so getting sleep, that sort of a thing. So uh, he didn't really need to do too much to get into James Reese shape, but uh, uh, maybe a little bit of tune up. And my buddy Jared Shaw is there with him working out and he was coming off Thor also. So they were in Australia working out, filming Thor, and then they jumped right into the terminal list with Jared Shaw playing Boozer and of course, Chris Pratt playing James Reese. All right. Will we ever learn what is in the letter from Thomas and in the safety deposit box? I think so. So I have it written right now, uh, book six. Uh, I'm working on it right now, but those two things right there, um, they're written. And uh, I don't know, I might, I might morph them and edit them a little bit. But um, yeah, I think, uh, I think you're going to find out. I think you're going to find out next April or May of 2023. Let's see here. When it comes to modern day military fiction, what do you believe separates the excellent ones from the average ones that still have the same amount of authenticity? Would love to hear your thoughts. Your work and book recommendations are super inspirational to me as a writer. God bless. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. Um, all right. What separates? Well, I think it's what separates any uh, any art, any great art from, from other art out there. And it's all subjective, of course. Um, but uh, there's something called heart and you can't really put your finger on exactly what that is, but you know it when you read it, you know it when you hear it, um, you know it when you see it. Uh, and that's that thing. That's that thing, whether it's the, the t television series or a movie or a sculpture or a painting, um, it's that thing. It's that, it's this, it's heart. Uh, and you can't, there's no formula for it. So, but uh, when you read it or when you write it, Sometimes you, uh, you know, it's there and, um, but yeah, I can't put my finger on what that is, but, uh, but it's heart. That's what it is. All right. Uh, da, 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 da. I recall you saying that chapter three of in the blood holds a certain personal significance. It's a great conversation between Reese and Mrs. Hastings about forgiveness. Could you explain that significance a little further? Uh, yeah, I certainly can. So uh, I wanted to introduce this. Uh, I wanted to have a conversation between the matriarch of the Hastings family and James Reese. And it really, and that's where I get to know the characters. You know, I have the name and the position in a character list when I start, but uh, you know, it could be like uh, John Smith, secret service agent, bad guy. It could be just that. And then I really don't get to know the character until uh, that character is in dialogue with another character. And that's where I really get to know them. And that's when some of their background emerges uh, to drive the plot forward. And I love writing dialogue because I love getting to know the characters in my novel, whether they're good guys or bad guys. But in this case, it's Caroline Hastings, uh, the matriarch of the Hastings family, uh, coming down kind of off the books to visit Reese and have a conversation with James Reese and uh, pass on some of her wisdom. So that's what really made it special is uh, one generation passing on a lesson to the next generation and a very personal um, conversation, a very personal lesson 
as well. So uh, that ended up being a very emotional chapter and I think the my favorite chapter that I've ever written. So yeah, it's chapter three of In the Blood. Here we go. Your battle and fight scenes are great. During these scenes, Reese's thoughts sometimes turn from the battle to his personal life. When you were in battle, did that happen to you? And uh, no, not in the moment, um, but in an 11-day campaign uh, for uh, the job or something like that, I mean, you have 11 days out there of pitched street battle. And so, yeah, every now and again, you think about uh, you think about home or think about what happens if you, uh, if you don't make it back or, you know, that sort of a thing. Um, but when you're in it, when you're kicking in that door, you're taking your corner and you're doing those sorts of things, uh, that's the only place that you are. You are nowhere else. Um, but uh, as I'm writing, uh, I, a lot of times I want to connect what Reese does to a lesson or to something in his past. Um, so I will have him thinking about different things uh, to move that scene forward uh, and to explain certain elements of it as the action is taking place. So, um, but no, when I'm kicking in a door in the real life or the breach goes off and and uh, in you go to take your corner and, and move into the room or through the structure, uh, you're not anywhere else. Um, same thing when you're on like the ramp of a plane, you're not thinking of anything else as you're about to, to, to jump off that thing and uh, in free fall. But uh, same thing, same very similar uh, feeling to being at the top of a rapid in a kayak for anybody that, uh, that kayaks out there, uh, when you're about to drop in to a rapid, I mean, you're not thinking about anything else and, uh, you're in it. And, uh, I guess it's that flow state thing or something, something like that. But anyway, that's that one. Let's see. What scene are you most proud of in the series adaptation? What scene? What scene? Oh, gosh, there's a scene at the end, um, that was powerful. Uh, and I, a lot of that well, powerful to watch, but I was there for it. Uh, so to see um, that scene, that scene acted out in real time, was uh, was special. Um, there's uh, Catherine Dyer uh, oh, plays. Um, yeah, well, Riley Keough is the actor who plays Lauren Reese, and uh, and her mom, Catherine, is Catherine, the actress, and she has a line in this. It's in an episode. I want to say beginning of six, maybe. Um, sometimes I get they, they conflate in my own mind because we've done so much editing over the last few months. Um, but I think that's where it is. And uh, she has a chilling line that I absolutely love. Um, so that's that's pretty cool. But favorite scene? I don't know. It was, it was so cool to film the uh, the tunnel scene in the beginning with the seals with Antoine directing. Um, and so many, it was like a reunion for me to be there and to see all that, uh, filming was like my introduction to, uh, to Hollywood and to the set and to this production. So, uh, so that was, that was pretty cool. Um, I loved the Mexico scene. I was there for that one, seeing that get filmed. Uh, it was just, I don't know if I can pick a favorite, uh, maybe one, maybe I will. Okay. How about that? How about episode three, uh, close to the beginning. And if you watch episode three, close to the beginning, you'll know what I'm talking about. All right. Would you like to see multiple books released in this format, the new TV show, having seen what you have thus far? Yes. <laughs> Let's do this. So, so we'll see, you know, we'll see how it does and see what, uh, what Amazon wants to do and see what Chris wants to do. And, um, I'm standing by, I got, uh, I wrote an outline out for season two for a true believer. And, uh, so I'm prepared in case they want to do it. We'll see. All right. What did a typical workout 
look like for you when you were in the SEAL teams? Did you focus on diet at all? Uh, yep, we did focus on diet or I, I did while I was in the teams because you want to maximize uh, your levels of performance because that's what you owe to the guys to your right and left that you're going to war with. So uh, anything we could do to enhance our performance, um, we would do that. And uh, so I did focus on diet um, just like anybody else out there looking for that edge. Things evolved. When I first got to the SEAL teams, it was uh, like 1980s uh, encyclopedia of bodybuilding type workouts and then run as far as you can, as fast as you can in the soft sand. And that was kind of, you know, what you did, uh, you know, three, uh, three sets of, uh, seven to 10 reps, you know, that, that sort of a thing, um, you know, beach muscles. Uh, and then I think it was right around, right after September 11th, really is when I first found out, uh, about CrossFit, functional fitness, that sort of a thing. And, uh, a lot shifted then. And we started really putting some, uh, some money, uh, some time, energy, and effort in to different programs that could help uh, enhance high performance downrange. So uh, moving in and out of vehicles with weight on your back, body armor on, nods on your head, uh, dragging wounded, uh, that sort of a thing. So to get you prepared essentially for life. Um, and so that functional fitness type of stuff then entered, uh, the fray and we started doing that really for the rest of the time that I was in. So, um, so they did evolve over time as they, as they should. What would be a good gun for a beginner? I've never even seen a real gun and I have no idea where to start. Oh man, that's interesting. Um, but with, I'd start with training. I'd find a competent instructor. Uh, if you have one locally, wonderful. And now you can check out people's backgrounds. You can find uh, videos online and kind of say, oh, I connect with that guy. I like how he's teaching or she's teaching, uh, you know, that sort of a thing. Uh, the great instructors at SIG Academy, uh, if you can make the trek there. Uh, Thunder Ranch, of course, if you can spend three days. A lot of their courses are three days now. But uh, getting on the range with Clint Smith, uh, it's a uh, it's an experience and you should have it, uh, at least once in your lifetime. So make the pilgrimage out to Thunder Ranch and get in touch with Heidi out there at Thunder Ranch and let her know that, uh, and she's an incredible instructor, but let her know that you're coming out. Maybe, Hey, uh, I don't know what kind of pistol I should get. What do you recommend? And, uh, she'll be able to make some good recommendations. I like the SIG P320 line because there's so many options, um, in that lineup. Um, so I'd, may, I'd maybe start there, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. Start that journey with instruction. Cause it's not just about going to the gun store and buying a gun, figuring out how to load it and then putting it in a drawer. Um, there's a lot more to it than that. And if you do go down that path, you have to get the training. That is the most important part is to put that time in with a competent instructor that, uh, uh, can help you reach that your potential, your full potential, but also recognize your um, capabilities and your limitations. Uh, both are important to know. Um, so yeah, I would do that. Find a competent instructor, uh, maybe try out a few different firearms and you know, it's different for different people. Uh, if you want one that's just going to be by your bed, it's probably going to be different than the one that you're carrying concealed. Not always, but, uh, but that, that can be the case. Uh, and if you do have one by your bed, Maybe that's used to, to fight your way to your rifle. Um, so anyway, there's a lot, uh, there, there's, there's a lot there, but, uh, you don't have to think that it's going to be overcomplicated. Just find that competent instructor and start the journey. That's my advice. Let's see. Bum, bum, bum. Where am I here? What whiskey or wine do I need to drink while I watch the terminal list? <laughs> well, you know, 
whatever you like, but Hey, maybe a veteran owned and operated, um, company, maybe like uh Hoot and young former Delta guys over there. And if you look close, you'll see it in the terminal list. So check that out. Episode one, um, or Hey, or soldier right there. Fifth group. Check that out right there. Uh, Scotty Neal. So through that whole horse soldier, uh, 10th mountain also. So there's a lot of, uh, veteran owned whiskey bourbon companies out there. So I would say, uh, check them out, support them and, uh, pour, uh, pour a nice glass as you settle in to watch the terminal list. A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Navy federal credit union. I have been a member since 1996. There is my Q card right there. Man, Navy Federal has been with me every step of the way uh, while I was in the military for those 20 years. And now that I am out and they've taken care of me, taken care of my family um, and have had nothing but the best experience with them. So to have them sponsor this podcast is, uh, well, it's humbling and I am, I am honored. Uh, becoming a member at Navy Federal Credit Union lets you experience more from everyday commutes to your next big vacation. The flagship credit card earns you three times the points on travel so you can get rewarded for wherever you're headed next. Plus this premium travel card has a low annual fee of $49 and two times the points on all purchases outside of travel, meaning the rewards don't have to end even when the vacation does. Speaking of rewards, you can get a Navy Federal Auto Loan and reward yourself with a new car. Applying is easy. You can do it on their mobile app, online, or by phone, and it's so fast, you can get a decision in seconds. Navy Federal has great rates on auto loans. Plus, with their car buying service powered by TrueCar, you can shop, compare, and get upfront pricing on your next new or used car. At Navy Federal, members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA. It is open to the armed forces, the DOD, veterans, and their families. Flagship rates are variable and range between 10.74% and 18% APR based on credit worthiness. ATM fees for cash advances are up to $1 at non-Navy Federal ATMs. Credit and collateral subject to approval. Message and data rates may apply. Visit NavyFederal.org for more information and to apply. I want to thank my friends at Black Rifle Coffee for sponsoring the Danger Close podcast. I've been a huge fan for the longest time. Drink Black Rifle Coffee every day. And if you keep your eyes peeled, you will notice that perhaps Chris Pratt is wearing a Black Rifle Coffee t-shirt, not unsimilar to this one, in the Amazon series adaptation of The Terminal List. Now you can go to blackriflecoffee.com slash dangerclose and use code dangerclose 20 at checkout for 20% off your purchase and your first coffee club order. Black Rifle Coffee, America's Coffee, keep crushing. Thank you so much to Six Hour for jumping right on board out of the gate to make this podcast possible. Obviously, I am a huge SIG fan, having carried the P226 on every deployment downrange in the SEAL teams. Uh, but SIG was a supporter. They were friends well before uh, I was a New York Times bestselling author, uh, well before I even had an Instagram account or any social media presence whatsoever. So thank you guys all so much. Uh, Ron, Tom, Jason, everybody at SIG who gets up every day and continues to crush it and lead 
the way. SIG is always adapting. They're always at the forefront, whether it is firearms for citizens, whether it's firearms for our military, ammo, suppressors, optics, training, fire control units. They are doing it all, and they are always pushing, pushing that envelope and trying to do it better each and every day through innovation and adaptation, they crush. So thank you so much for that friendship and support. Uh, It will never be forgotten. Welcome to the gear highlight portion of the Danger Close podcast. All right, Dynamis jeans. You got to check these things out. When Dom at Dynamis first sent me these, I was like, oh man, jeans, they're tough. Uh, He got these right. And uh, so they got that stretch in them. They got all the pockets in the right places uh, and they don't look tactical, but they are legit. So uh, check out the Dynamis jeans on their site. Check out everything they have. Uh, it's crusheverything.com right now. Uh, so Dom Rosso, a uh, buddy of mine from the SEAL teams, uh, and you might be able to catch a glimpse of Chris Pratt wearing these jeans in The Terminal List, which is on Amazon Prime right now, all eight episodes. Uh, this belt too, love my Dynamis belts. Uh, these things are awesome. They've got some secrets in them. So go to crusheverything.com, go check out Dom's videos on YouTube as well. And you can find out um, all about the secrets of these belts. But uh, as soon as I w- started wearing this belt back in 20, geez, 15, something like that. Anyway, I've been wearing it ever since. So bam, Dynamis belt, check it out. Check out everything else they have on there like this right here. Yep. That is the Razorback. So I just love these blades from Dynamis right here. Um, yeah, there's a story behind this as well. You can catch my podcast with Dom where we talk about it. It's uh, coming out soon. And if you look close, you may see this in the terminal list as well. So that is that. And tack to calories. Come on. Awesome. I use their stuff to uh, brine the turkey for Thanksgiving last year, veteran owned and operated, and it was the best turkey we have ever had. It was awesome. So check them out, tacticalories.com. And what do we have here? We got, uh, this is the Bruiser Blend right there. Nice. This one right here, the Bad Ombre Mild Taco Blend. And what is this? The Bosco Blend right here. And what's this one? This is the veggie dust. Veggie dust? I'll give it a try. I'll give it a try. Awesome. Tacticalories.com. Check them out. Dynamis crush everything. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for tuning in to the Danger Close podcast, an Ironclad original presented by Navy Federal Credit Union. You can follow me at Jack Carr USA on the social channels. Officialjackcar.com is the website. You can sign up for the newsletter there. And jackcarusa.com is for the merch. Until the next time, take care out there. Be safe, stay strong, keep fighting. In case you missed it on a recent episode of Danger Close, an Ironclad original. 
Jack Carr sat down with former presidential candidate Tulsi Gabbard. Set aside all the labels. Mm. You know, oh, well, because I've been getting asked this a lot. Like, well, are you left or are you right? Are you progressive or are you conservative? What are box you... do you fit in? Exactly, Which box do you check? Completely. Are you an enemy or <laughs> right, right. An How, uh, Like, what filter should I use when I'm looking at you? And, like, I've always been an independent-minded person. Mm. Always. Be sure to check out the full interview wherever you get your podcasts. 